Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Recap. This week, we're joined by Crane Chicago business political reporter Greg Hines and Joan Esposito, afternoon host at WCPT AM 820. Joan and Greg, we've got a lot of stories to get to today like from America's biggest fast food chain. McDonald's announcing this morning it's raising hourly wages at its company-owned locations. The city expanding its reopening. The so-called bridge phase is set to begin today. That means we are one step closer to a full reopening. A former Chicago mayor heading to East Asia. Rahm Emanuel may soon be working on a new skill set. President Biden is reportedly about to nominate him as U.S. ambassador to Japan. And the current mayor gets hacked. Tens of thousands of city emails stolen during a data transfer to an outside law firm. Greg, we're going to get to those emails in a bit, but you just finished a deep dive into Mayor Lori Lightfoot and her administration at the halfway mark of her first crack at the job. So what did you find? This mayor has some real accomplishments, particularly at a time of real crisis. I mean, uh, it's hard to be this mayor in, a, in good times, but amid COVID, uh, amid all the George Floyd protests and whatever, uh, uh, she's been able to get a budget through. Uh, she's been able to make some progress on the uh, social equity front on investment with her uh, Invest Southwest program to uh, attract new commercial development uh, to, uh, to areas that haven't seen very much. You know, and there's some other things that show that, you know, this mayor has some solid accomplishments to point to. But we also find and we, we hear this from an awful lot that uh, that this mayor tends to get her in her own way. Uh, she has a, a sharp personality. She fights and fights and fights. She, she acts like a prosecutor sometimes. Uh, the more charitable interpretation of that is she just has a lot of passion and a lot of heart, and she doesn't know when to cut it off. But the result of that is that. She doesn't get along with people who could help her, like Tony Preckwinkle, uh, the president of the Cook County Board, or uh, Springfield, where uh, she, her folks and, and Priskers don't get along very well, and she's mm-hmm. run into real problems. In her own city council, she's picked fights with the media and whatever. It's a fair question to ask. At what point do you kind of hold your passion in check just a little bit and try to work out something, a compromise, because that's, that's the name of the game in yeah. politics and government. Nobody's there by themselves. You have to work collaboratively. How do you think the, the mayor's doing when it comes to crime, Joan? You know, 18 people were shot in Chicago yesterday, including an 8-year-old. Well, I think that, A, of course, there are other cities having this problem, and it's a big problem and a tough problem. But she's a newbie to politics. And I think that a part of that is she's not necessarily surrounding herself with the best people. And I really thought that when uh, she brought in David Beck to be the interim head of the Chicago Police Department, you know, he had a lot of great ideas. I've talked to a lot of former cops who've written books, 
and they all talk about community policing and knowing the people in your area, particularly if it's a low-income, high-crime area. You know, David Brown came in with his, no, we're going to have these centralized locations and this strike force. Well, I talked to a lot of the people who live in heavily policed areas, and they don't feel like they're seeing officer-friendly. I mean, I have had people tell me that the police are viewed in their neighborhoods as an occupying force, and that's no good for anybody. Yeah. Greg, what's this controversy about Lightfoot's exposed emails that they were involving hackers? Well, one controversy is is the fact that uh, that they were hacked, and the other one is the content, which shows some stuff that uh, the mayor didn't particularly like uh, and would prefer not to talk about, but uh, uh, but it's out there. Um, you know, it's it's all part and parcel of the same thing. I, I want to go back to something Joan said a second ago, if I might. Um, uh, crime is a really classic example of, of of a difficult area where you need to get everybody together. Uh, but this mayor seems to have kind of irritated everybody. Uh, the cops don't think she has their back. The reformers don't think she's moving fast enough. In the meantime, the crime rate is going through the roof. Uh, uh, you know, we we in the media can all chitter chatter about about emails, but if you want to talk about something really a, impacts day-to-day Chicagoans that we all are concerned about. Crime has got to be at the head of the list. And Joan, how about this Ambassador Rahm Emanuel? (laughs) What (laughs) do you think about that? Well, I think, and Greg may disagree with me, but I think this is a win, 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 win. It's a win for Japan because from everything I've read, they really like to have an ambassador who has had Uh, exposure to the inner workings at the highest level of government, because that makes them feel important. So Rom certainly checks that box. Biden gets somebody nearby to watch China and somebody who has um, a very forceful personality. Biden also ticks off the box of giving him a job that takes him thousands of miles away. I think this is a win for everybody. Joan, sticking with you for a moment, I want to switch gears here and talk about our reopening, right? Illinois is entering the next to last phase of COVID reopening. It seems like life is kind of starting to get back to normal. What do you think? It absolutely is. And especially with that announcement from the CDC yesterday about not having to wear masks if you're vaccinated. I think there are a lot of people who are really going to embrace this. I think there are going to be also people like me who are going to how shall I put this? Reopen our lives slowly, step by step. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if I go to Target, I think I'm still going to wear a mask. And I probably, it's going to be a long time before I feel comfortable, like in a movie theater or a live theater. But I am taking baby steps. You know, I'm going out and going out to dinner. I went out to dinner once. I think it's where we should be. I think they're doing the right thing. I think that some people are going to embrace it fully. And then there's going to be people like me who are um, a little more hesitant and reemerge in the world a little more slowly. Yeah, baby steps. Uh, Lollapalooza is also returning. Greg, are you going to be in the mosh pit this summer? Is that where we can find you? (laughs) 
probably not. I suspect those days, unfortunately, are uh, somewhat in the past in my case. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm with Joan. I think that this is going to take a while. And, you know, and frankly, it probably should take a while because uh, all the numbers have started to decrease. Uh, unfortunately, among the numbers that's decreasing is the number of people being vaccinated every day. I was just looking before we started this show at the, the latest state figures are about 50,000 people. A couple of weeks ago, it was 100. 30,000 people. Um, It's interesting, uh, Greg, that you talk about this dropping demand for the vaccine. You wrote about some incentives that are being offered now to get more people vaccinated. Can you remind us what those are? The folks at Great America, the amusement park, are offering 50,000 free tickets to people who are inoculated to go there uh, and uh, or uh, to have another park in in Rockford. And uh, hopefully that that will make a difference. But uh, we're not quite fully there yet. So I think Joan's one step at a time, maybe the right the right approach. <laughs> well, Greg, I plan to move back to Ohio and get revaccinated so I can get in that million-dollar lottery. Heck, I'll even take the four years of free college tuition. <laughs> I'm not too old for that. <laughs> Greg, what's the CTA doing to, to get riders back? They announced today they're going to start kind of an advertising and media blitz to uh, convince people that the system is safe. And they say, hey, they've stepped up their cleaning, they've stepped up sanitation, their capacity is still limited, but it's bigger than it's most, and that, hey, come on down. I think there's some royal hesitation there, though. Uh, transit cars are uh, small vehicles by definition, uh, so you're really on top of people more than it would be at a restaurant or something like that. Uh, it's not exactly like what the mosh pit you were referring to a minute ago, but it can be. <laughs> and there's some security considerations. There's been some really nasty outbreaks of crime. A lot of people complain about whether the CTA is clean enough, particularly the, the rapid transit system. So they're down about a million people at work day now, below where they were, uh, and little by little it's going to come back. But I think it's this is going to be a work in progress. I think they're going to have more difficulty convincing people to come back than they think. Greg, what are you hearing at Cranes about the economic outlook right now? It actually is pretty peppy. I was looking at a report uh, that the Federal Reserve Bank of of Chicago put out the other day about uh, conditions in in the Midwest. And in some ways, it's as good as it's been in in close to a decade. What's interesting is uh, where much of the benefit now appears to be in lower-wage jobs, which are really picking up, is we open restaurants and and bars and things like that, hotels. Uh, Those people are being really called back to work in in a rush. And with some people still scared to go back to work, there's a shortage. So the wages are going up, which is great from my perspective. Uh, but uh, in general, this is a good time to be have a job or be looking for a job because there's stuff there. That's Greg Hines of Crane's Chicago Business. Also joining us, Joan Esposito of WCPT AM820. Joan, Greg, let's head into the second half of the recap and talk about these stories. Of course, this is Chicago. Corruption fits right smack in the middle of the mayor's race. Chicago's ballparks are about to be rocking again. Huge jump in fan capacity. The school is now offering test kits through vending machines on campus. Students just have to swab themselves and turn the results back into the school. Mm, Right next to the Doritos. At Northwestern University tonight, newly appointed athletic director Mike Poliski has stepped down. Conditions have changed. We can and we must reopen schools in the fall for in-person teaching, learning, and support. So we just heard the head of one of the biggest teachers unions in the U.S., the American Federation of Teachers, 
she's doing a turnaround, calling for a full return to in-person school in the fall. Joan, how do you think parents and teachers are going to feel about that? There has been some hesitancy, even with the schools that have reopened at the end of spring. Parents are a little nervous, kind of like I'm really nervous about getting back out there again. But I think by September, I think a lot of that will have dissipated. I think that it's a smart move, but I think in-person learning is absolutely uh, something that uh, Chicago needs come this fall. There should also be some sort of testing monitoring. I mean, it can't just be like old times. You know, we've got to still test for COVID and, um, you know, we'll have to monitor that. But I absolutely think the time has come. What about the Chicago Teachers Union? What will they say? There are kind of two schools of thought on that. One is that they're really looking out for the teachers. You know, fine, you want us to open, you know, give us some vaccinations, Um, give us some new ventilation in the buildings, give us a testing schedule. I don't fault them for saying, hey, that's great. You want to reopen schools? Okay. Who are we going to test? How often are we going to test them? Are our older buildings going to be retrofitted with, with better air circulation? Are vaccines going to be provided? I think those were legitimate questions, and they had legitimate concerns. Right. I'm seeing now that the Chicago Teachers Union has actually issued a statement that it isn't fully aligned with Randy Whitegarden's uh, perspective. Now, Greg, Governor Pritzker announced that he is putting in $225 million for COVID saliva testing for middle and high schoolers this fall. Uh, That's the COVID test that was developed and used at the U of I Urbana-Champaign to help keep the rates down. Now, CPS has already said that they're not going to use these saliva tests. They said that they've already got a testing protocol in place. But it does make me wonder what school might look like in the fall. Greg, do you think that there's going to be daily COVID tests required now for kids? Is that their new normal? Uh, I don't think they're going to test daily. Uh, I do think we're going to have some testing, particularly of teachers. We're going to have to work our way through this. Uh, Indeed, both sides have, uh, all sides have reasonable concerns here. Uh, But we need to get the kids back. Nobody wants teachers uh, or parents or or children to get sick. But uh, the cost of losing a year or two of education to to kids who don't have a lot of options to start with is just incalculable. Uh, We need to get through this. Reasonable people ought to be able to figure this out. And the fact that we've had so much screaming and yelling in Chicago is just another aspect of what we started with on this show, which is uh, uh, Lori Lightfoot's inability to get along with the people, in this case, the, the union. They're just they're just at each other's throats all the time. Uh, but uh, the, at, at stake, literally, is, is our future. We've got to get the kids back. Another big news for the kids, Greg, you know, is, is that the Pfizer shot's now available for them, for, for 12 to 15-year-olds. So I'm thinking... Those Six Flags tickets are pretty big carrot to, to get them vaccinated. Uh, yeah. uh, I mean, that's the ultimate solution is to get everybody vaccinated. There's now plenty of shots. There's no excuse for anybody not to, uh, other, you know, other than their own stubbornness. Uh, go on and get your shots. That's the real answer to opening the schools. Now, some places can actually require COVID vaccines. Northwestern announced that they're going to require students to be vaccinated in order to register for fall classes. Northwestern made some other news this week, folks. You know, their athletic director, Mike Poliski, resigned. Joan, can you tell us what that's about? (laughs) First of all, what were they thinking giving him that job? He is named by name in one of the legal actions taken by former cheerleaders at Northwestern who allege that they were told to appear at 
events where big donors were going to be. And essentially, they felt that they were there to be cute, little sexually enticing young things. And they said that inappropriate things were said to them. They were groped when they complained to people like the person who was just elevated. Their concerns were dismissed, uh, made light of. They were told to forget it, um, that kind of thing. And he is one of the people named by name in one of these legal proceedings. And yet Northwestern says, hey, this guy, he's going to be a fine athletic director. What did they think was going to happen? Um, I mean, there was a letter signed by some female professors, as well as a, a hue and cry from students that, hey, you know what, we think Northwestern can do better. Now, obviously, he has denied everything. But, you know, just when you're in a position of leadership, appearance of impropriety is almost as bad as actual impropriety. It was, I think, a, a bad move on the board's choice. And, you know, at least kudos to him for seeing that he was doing more damage than good and walking away from the job. And there was another sports controversy this week. This one involved the Blackhawks. Joan, what's going on there? Well, a player from the um, Stanley Cup team who has yet to be named is accusing a man who was temporarily a coach, is no longer a, a coach, of um, sexual improprieties. And this unnamed player also says there was another player that this coach was inappropriate with. What I think is really interesting about this is the reaction from the team. Mm. Most institutions, when they're hit with something like this, you know, they want to say all the right things. You know, we're horrified by this. We will investigate. We're going to get to the bottom of this. Whereas, you know, Greg, correct me if I'm wrong, but what I'm mostly hearing from the Blackhawks is, it didn't happen. It never happened. It was no big deal. Go away. Nothing to see here. Whatever problem they have in using their common sense at Northwestern seems to have split to the Blackhawks for whatever reason. History is, is clear on anything. It's that you can't stick your head in the in the sand and be an ostrich on this kind of stuff. You have to confront it. You have to deal with it and let, you know, let the chips fall where they are. And uh, there's oh, nothing happened. Uh, let's get back to the back to the ice. Isn't, mm-hmm. Probably isn't going to work. We have some good sports news, though. Cubs and White Sox announced they'll soon increase to 60% capacity. Briefly, Greg, tell us what this summer is going to look like for baseball fans. If the White Sox keep winning, it's going to look really good. Um, <laughs> uh, they're doing a little better than the Cubs, but uh, I'm a Cub fan, so come on, guys. Uh, pull, pull, pull up just a little bit. And the capacity limit's actually a little higher than uh, you talked about because people who have been vaccinated and can prove it get their own little section, they don't count toward the capacity limit. So we really might be talking more like 70 or 80% of the ballpark. Is that 43,000 at Wrigley on a, on a Sunday afternoon? No, but it might be the 30 or 35, which is which is pretty good in my what five months here if it's one thing i know so far this is a baseball town that's for sure (laughs) now uh sad news here local journalists lost an esteemed colleague this week dick k longtime political reporter for nbc5 passed away let's take a listen i covered his time when he was in the house and when he went to the u.s house and when he became governor i covered the whole campaign i say it was a threat to anyone who might want to report a bad cop city workers have been maligned over the years and you know in some cases a lot of cases they deserved it Mm -hmm. joan you worked with him for many years 
Yes, I did. I worked with him at Channel 5, and he was our union steward. And then I worked again with him at WCPT. You know, shortly after he retired, he went back to work as a radio host. And um, every once in a while, people know you because you're on the radio. People know people because they're on television. But even with that kind of celebrity, sometimes somebody is just larger than life and they just break through to a whole different level. And that was that was Dick Kay with his big booming voice and his no holds barred mm-hmm. approach. He just was somebody that really made an impression on everybody. Greg, as a fellow reporter covering local politics, you knew Dick as well. What are some of your memories of him? Oh, Dick was a, uh, a journalist of the old of the old school, and I mean that in a good sense. He was a bull in the china shop. Nobody was going to stop him if he wanted to find out something, if he wanted to say something. He said it, and that's not always good, but it's good more often than not because uh, the danger in this business is, uh, is to be too timid, I think. Um, one of my personal memories is trying to get in a question between uh, between <laughs> Dick and the press conference. Dick and Andy Shaw from Channel 7, they kind of, you know, if you said with something, you'd have to wait a half an hour until they were done. <laughs> But they usually ask the right kind of stuff. But Dick's heart was in the right spot. Uh, he was he was trying to uh, to find stuff and uh, wasn't going to be intimidated by the political yeah. clash. Uh, I just wish he'd, he'd, uh, his professional career extended a little longer into the Donald Trump era. Uh, I think that you get some interesting interactions there. Rest in peace, Dick Kay. That is it for our weekly news recap. I want to thank Joan Esposito, afternoon host at WCPT AM 820, and Greg Hines of Crane Chicago Business. Have a great weekend. And that's WBEZ's weekly news recap for the latest on COVID-19, the reopenings, vaccines, and the changes to mask restrictions. Watch this space for our weekly Q&A with Dr. Mia Teramina. You'll see that in your feed starting Sunday morning. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening, and we'll meet again soon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.